What's up, guys? Alex here, AJNashville.com. I want to thank you for tuning in. It is Friday. Luckily, there's some sunshine outside. It's not very warm, but at least the sun is shining. So anyways, today's podcast, I want to talk about something that is going to put me in a very vulnerable position. Most of you know I'm extremely transparent when it comes to things that happen in my life. There's not a whole lot that I hold back. There's not a whole lot that I necessarily keep private. Now, obviously, there are some things. I don't go blurting everything out to the world, but you know, for the most part, I'm very transparent. As most of you know, yesterday marked the three-year period where I had to make the final decision on what was going to happen with my mother. Um, I just want to go through that day. I want to talk about it. I want to hopefully help gain some clarity in my own head of what happened. And, and it's something that will be therapeutic for me, obviously. And hopefully somebody that's going through the same thing, it'll be therapeutic for them as well. So let's talk about that day. Um, my little brother was actually in town. It had been a while you know, since my brother and I had communicated. And we started communicating more. And, you know, my mom kind of brought us together. Now, those of you that don't know, I had a very heavy grudge towards my mom. My mom had gotten in a position where she she found out she had cancer. And then throughout that, she started hanging out with some of the wrong people and got back in to using drugs. Now, I say back in because when we were younger, my sister and I, when we were younger, it was something that was part of the daily life. It was part of the reason why we moved to Iowa, because the house we were living in got raided. She got thrown in jail. I got taken to a home. My sister got taken to a home. And we had to make a decision. Basically, the state of California said, you can either A, leave the state, never return, or B, we're going to lock you up. You make a decision. So we made the decision to move to Iowa to live with my grandma. And my mom was clean for about 17 years. You know, and, and it's never something that you look back and you say, you know, she's going to relapse. There's there's something about addiction that no matter what, once you've experienced addiction, you're a, you're an addict for life. I mean, there's there's always the chance for relapse. And she got involved with the wrong people and made bad decisions and relapsed. You know, got back into that addiction, into the uppers, into the Adderall and meth and cocaine and things like that. Things that we know just, you know, at, at any age isn't something you want to be wrapped up or involved in. So I held a grudge against my mom because of that, because when she was going through her initial addiction to drugs, I went through a lot of shit. There was a lot of things that went on in my life that made it very hard for me as a kid growing up. There was a lot of lessons I had to learn and I had to learn the fast way and the hard way. And there was a lot of things that I didn't get to experience as a child. I had to grow up fast. So I held a grudge. And about a month before her passing, we started communicating again. Prior to that, I would block her number, not answer her text messages, told her until she got clean, she was not meeting Rowan, her granddaughter. You know, and, and my stance on that, and I know some people listening are like, well, that's not right. You should never keep a grandma from her granddaughter. But I didn't want that around my children. I didn't want it around my kids. So I said, you know what? Until you clean up, until you change, you're not meeting her. So the reconnection with my brother, I mean, we were never disconnected. We just weren't as close as we are currently. 
that transpired because of my mom. I got text messages. I still have the screenshots of them where she said she's so proud that both of her sons are together again. And so we had been communicating off and on, you know, throughout the week that my brother was there. Um, and, and we had made amends to some degree. So one day I'm sitting there and, and we had just gotten back to the apartment. At this time, I lived in Franklin and I got a call from my grandma. And that was, your mom's at the hospital. I'm on my way there. I'll let you know what's going on. And so it was alarming, but I didn't know to what degree the the situation was. You know, when somebody calls and they're, they're kind of panicked, you know, anyone's going to be panicked when their son or daughter goes to the hospital. But I didn't quite know the magnitude of what had went on yet. So she gets to the hospital. I get another phone call, and I find out what had happened is the paramedics were called uh, to a house that she was at. She was at the house where the guy she was dating at the time resided, and they were called due to her overdosing on meth. So she had gotten involved in that. She she had overdosed. The paramedics had tried to revive her. They brought her back several times, and during that time, you know, some decisions had to be made. I spoke to a nurse there at the hospital, and it just so happened to be somebody that I knew from my high school years. You know, somebody that I was friends with, and, and we knew of each other, and, and you know, so it, it brought me some comfort to know that somebody that my mom knew and that I knew was there looking over her. However, the news wasn't great. So they had revived her, brought her back 18 times by this point. And when I talked to this nurse, she said, even if we're able to bring her back, her body has experienced so much trauma at this point that she's probably not going to stabilize. What do you want to do? You want to talk about the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life. That was the decision to say, yes, continue to work on her for my own selfish reasons or let her go to peace. I asked my grandma to make that decision. I asked everybody at the table, hey, you know, help me make this decision. The decision ultimately rested on me. So the decision that was made was to, to discontinue bringing her back and to allow her to go into peace and leave what we know as life and, and hopefully find some peace in that. Now, that's a difficult decision for a son to have to make, especially given the circumstances. You know, get, making that decision was something that um, it, it's forever ingrained in my brain. It's something that I will forever think about. It's something that, you know, did I make the right one? Did I make the wrong one? Should I have guilt for this? Should I not? You know, and, and my gut tells me no. No guilt for it because I did what was best or what I deemed was best at that time. The one thing I am grateful for is I had the opportunity to reconnect with my mother prior to this happening. <clears throat> so that decision was made. At that point, my brother and I decided we needed to get in the truck the next morning and head up to Iowa. I was about a 10 to 12 hour drive. You know, I had my truck at the time, so we, we jumped on the interstate and we headed out first thing in the morning. When I got to Iowa, I was then faced with the decisions 
of planning a funeral. You want to talk about something difficult, and I know some of the listeners here have experienced that, and I know some of the listeners have went through this, and I know some of the listeners understand exactly where I'm coming from. But having to plan my mother's funeral was one of the hardest things. You know, picking out the right stuff, picking out, you know, everything from the the flyers and the information that goes in the flyers and, the, you know, will she be cremated? Will she be buried? Who do we invite? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. The It, it was a moment for me where I still didn't think it was real. You know, you're you're sitting there and you're planning this out and it, it's kind of real, but it's not as real as it actually is at the time. There's still kind of a daze there. So went and got everything planned. Well, of course, what happens is, is there's some conflict. People say, hey, this person doesn't need to be at the funeral because they contributed to your mom's drug usage and this person doesn't need to be there. Suddenly there's all these people controlling or wanting to have a say in who attends this funeral and who shouldn't be there. But nobody wanted to help when it came to the actual planning portion of it. Nobody wanted to help when it came to the actual putting it together. You know, I'm fortunate that my stepdad was there to help me through it. I'm fortunate that my brother was there, that my sister was there, that my close friends were there. But my mom's funeral was very basic. It was very small. There was only a select few that were allowed in there, the people who I loved and trusted, the people who were close to me, the people who were there while I was growing up, the people who knew my mom the best, the people that I accepted. So going through that and trying to do the small things like plan and and I had my mom cremated. So what I needed to do is find urns. If if any of you had planned a funeral, you know the urns that they have there at the funeral house are just amazingly expensive. And I wanted something of significance. I wanted all of us as siblings to have a piece of our mother. And I wanted all of us to have something special from our mother. So I had I went out and put some things together, found what I considered the perfect urns. Uh, and myself, my siblings, and my grandma all walked away with a piece of that, you know, something to remember our mother by. So funeral grows through. We have visitors. Um, I decided that I was going to basically lead the ceremony instead of pay for somebody else to since it was a small group. So I led the ceremony. Once again, very hard thing to do. So then we get to she had some property. She had some not not real property, but uh, actual, you know, items like dressers, TVs, things like that, that were in a storage unit. You know, going in the storage unit, you never know what to expect, especially when you have somebody that has had an addiction to drugs for so long that they tend to kind of get rid of everything. They, they tend to get rid of things of value. And so I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, I didn't go there with the intention on, hey, there's going to be all this valuable stuff. I can't wait to get it. None of that stuff mattered. What mattered was what she held on to and what mattered was the significance of the things that she held on to. And I still remember going into the storage. What I did first is I, I found a family that was in need, somebody that could use the furniture and stuff that was in there. Because I'd already peeked in the storage at this point. And I saw there was a lot of furniture in there, and there was no way I was bringing furniture back from Iowa to Tennessee because I had no usage for it. So I wanted to find somebody local that did. So what I did is I emptied out the storage unit. And as I emptied it out, 
I set things aside that were to be taken by this family and things aside that, that were meaningful, you know, things that meant things to me. And going through the, the storage unit was a lot harder than most people think. See, my mom was really good about holding on to things, holding on to things that were meaningful to her. You know, even through addiction and everything else, she was really good about putting things that were sentimental to her aside. You know, things that were non-negotiable, things she wasn't going to get rid of no matter what. And, you know, a few of those things that I found was like the the badge to the cancer treatment center when her and I went there to help get her treatment for her cancer. She held on to that. There was a piece of paper amongst the rest of the notes she had that said, my goddaughter or granddaughter's name is Rowan. You know, that that right there really hit me in a hard place because of the fact that I, I withheld Rowan from her. And so it was one of those things that, you know, that a lot of guilt overcame me at that point in time. But just seeing those little items and, and little trinkets and pictures and, you know, there was dozens and dozens of pictures that she still had of us when we were kids. And there were items that I knew would be important to my sister, important to my brother, and important to my grandmother. And so I set those items aside and gave them to those people accordingly. You know, one of the big things my mom was into when I was growing up is wind chimes. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, but she had a couple wind chimes in there. And it was, for me, having those meant something because I saw them and I heard them growing up. And so I I kept those because I wanted those to be at a forever home. So they're at my home. They're still in a box because I'm terrified of taking them out and having something happen to them. So going through the storage was obviously difficult. You know, it it took about a full day. And then we had a vehicle that we had to figure out what was going on. One thing that my mom was known for is if she had a car, you could guarantee there were tools in the car. And so we went through the vehicle very thorough because you never knew what you were going to find. There was tons of tools in there, tons of odds and ends, you know, but you could tell that the vehicle wasn't taken care of like my mom was known to take care of vehicles. My mom was always known for having a super clean vehicle, in great shape, tools in the car, everything was spotless, and that wasn't the case. And what I looked at is in that period of time that my mom struggled with addiction, she let things that used to be important to her kind of slide, kind of go by the wayside. And just to give you some backstory, the separation of my mom and I occurred when she had a hemorrhage at the front part of her brain, which had her transferred from Fort Dodge Hospital to Des Moines, which is the capital of Iowa, one of the bigger hospitals. She was transferred there. And well, I was there because I'm a very alpha dominant person. Her then boyfriend, which she, she was at this time still married, um, he was there. And I, I said, look, either he leaves or I'm leaving. And she made the decision to have him there. Now, do I guilt her or fault her for that decision? Do I feel bad for making that decision or putting her in that position? I don't. You know, she, she was in a position where maybe she didn't know right from wrong at that point in time. And that's where our separation of things begin. So going through everything in storage, going through everything in the car, packing up, and leaving my brother there and headed back because my brother lives in Iowa. So it, there was no point in him heading back to Tennessee with him, with me. So coming back to Tennessee and dealing with everything, you know, I began drinking very heavily nightly 
consistently. I think for almost a two-year period, I think I drank probably every night. And it was something that it, it created a calmness for me or it at least eliminated the pain that I was feeling. And the downside was, was that it was affecting myself, my family, my home life, but I was acting as if everything was normal on the surface. For me to go home and, and drink as much as I could and kind of bury things away was the best way for me to deal with things. In the process, I'm gaining weight. You know, I'm not being as healthy as I should be. I'm rude to my family. I'm rude to, to everybody around me. But then I go and, and I do what's called a functioning alcoholic. That's essentially what I had become, a person that could drink and then go on about their day like everything was great. And, it, and looking back at that, you know, it, it was very destructive. It's not the right way to handle things. It's not the right way to go about things. I didn't deal with any of the pain. I didn't deal with any of the heartache, you know. And, and so all I did was bury everything. And I carried that weight, that very heavy weight with me for the next two years almost. And then came a, a point where I've seen some clarity and I said, you know what, I've got to stop this. I've got to slow it down. I can't continue to do this. And so dealing with those issues, it's been difficult, you know, looking and, and telling myself that I'm not in the wrong for doing certain things in my life, not blaming myself for having to make those decisions as it, it, you know, in regards to my mom and having to decide whether or not they continue to work on her. Those are pieces of guilt I had to accept and I had to move forward. And I had to say, okay, do I want to be the best person I can for my children? Or do I want to continue to drown myself and drown everybody around me in this guilt? You know, so a mature portion of me had to step in and say, all right, it's, it's time to be done. Now, that doesn't mean I don't still hurt. Because I do. Most of you know that Tupac song, Dear Mama, when that comes on, that was my mom's song she dedicated to me when we were young and homeless and living from hotel to hotel. And that song came out and came on. And my mom said, this song makes me think of you when I hear it. So most of the time when that song comes on, it comes on at the perfect time. It's almost like I'm making a decision. That song comes on and that's the gratification or that's the, that's the nod to carry forward with my decision. But I, I still have a hard time listening to that song in its entirety. I still have a hard time listening to that song and saying, all right, you know what? It's just a song. Cause to me, it's more than just a song. So, you know, it, it came on last night. It was one of those things that I listened to. I, I grimmed and I bared through it and you know, it's, it's provided me some closure. And that's the biggest thing. When it comes to any type of huge loss, it's about dealing with your problems. It's about confiding in the things. I've always been a person that thinks I can approach and conquer the world alone, and, and I can't. You know, it doesn't matter how strong you are. When it comes to dealing with issues like this, you can't deal with it alone. The best thing to do is to find help, to find somebody that will listen, to, to be therapeutic. That's the whole reason why I'm doing this podcast today, not to take my laundry and put it out on the line for everybody to see, but because this is more therapeutic for me than anything. Because talking about this and admitting that I fucked up in my life and admitting that I made the wrong decisions and admitting that I'm not perfect, I'm just like everybody else. You know, I think that people look at me to some degree and think, oh, he's got this perfect life going on. I'll be the first to tell you my life isn't perfect, 
but I try to do what I can to correct things. And I try to do what I can to make incremental changes on a daily basis to become a better person than the one I was before, to, to become a better person than the person I was the day prior. Now, yesterday I did my part in the Meet the Candidate event at the UAW. I'm running for alderman in Ward 1 of Spring Hill, and I had that weight on my shoulders. And I could have made every excuse in the world not to go and not to be there. But the fact of the matter is my mom didn't raise a person that quit. My mom didn't raise a person that gave up. My mom raised a person that gave back. And so I attended the event. And I did what I could. I had a lot on my plate. I had a lot going on in my mind. The last thing I wanted to do was be on a stage in front of 100 people, but I had to. Because I know that if my mom was still here today, she would be proud of the person I've become. So I hope this message helps somebody. I hope somebody listens to this and they're maybe going through or have gone through the same thing that I have been through or that I have gone through. And maybe you're that person and you're like, you know what, I really need someone to talk to. Maybe I'm that person you can talk to. Maybe not. But if there's something I can do to help you, please feel free to send me a private message. Nobody deserves to go through this alone. It's definitely not easy. It makes your life hell. I can promise you that. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I hope this message finds you well, as it has found me well and has found me. Once again, this is a therapeutic thing for me. I I feel better about it now than I did when I started. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.